a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be grunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega the mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word. Passes. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Scraping the bottom of the barrel for podcasts. This is Table Talk Radio. That's true. It's like, oh, I got all done listening to issues, got all my other stuff done. Oh, I guess we'll see what Table Talk Radio. Doing. Yeah. What not the podcast? Oh, tell me about that. I, I heard about this. I got it. It's mostly for Lent. Now I'm trying to figure out what to do next. Easter? I said, hey, I'll answer your question. <laughs> I answered 40 questions for Lent. And now I have another 700 questions to answer. Well, you could do the 50, 50 questions of Easter. I know, but we could t- t- just do 50 questions here on Table Talk Radio. But we got other ideas. How many days are in the... In the is in the season the Trinity season. Uh, it depends. It's a uh, it's varied. That's true. You have to figure depends that out, when... and then you know how many questions you have to answer. Uh, I should say no more questions. Yeah. All right. Uh, but but I've got Twitter all pulled up, ready for today's episode because we're going to do hashtag theology. So I've got the twitters, and then we're going to do. This is a throwback today. Answer the question as we haven't done that in a while. It has been. Still know how to play that game. I bet it's like riding a bike. I'm sure. You just jump back on it. Yeah. Anyway. Good. Well, let's start with. Yeah, please go. Uh, You could pick a number between one and, I don't know, six. Why do I always have to do the heavy lifting on your buzzword? Okay. Uh, 599. Oh, good choice. Thank you. That's a really good number. I wouldn't have thought of that one, but I'm glad that's, you did. That's why I'm around. Okay, this is chapter three on the church, the church in a wide sense and the church in a narrow sense. Hmm. Uh, here's a... Uh, the, oh, here, here's a good one. The communion we then call holy because in it the Holy Ghost is operating to sanctify it. Catholic, because however widely the members of the church are scattered, yet at all times and in all places the same faith is confessed. Apostolic, because its faith resting upon that proclaimed by the apostles has never in the course of time been changed. Well, that's great. So let's go with Catholic. According to the whole, means all times, all places, no matter what, here it's defined fantastically, is that the church shares in the same confession. Now, how will you know when I utter the word whether it's a small c or big c? It's in the pronunciation. If you say Catholic, that means small c. If you say Catholic, that's capital C. Thanks for clearing that up. All right, my theological buzzword for you is nave, which is uh, a Latin word for ship or boat. 
And in the church, this is used to describe, uh, it's kind of a church architecture term, uh, but the main place where people assemble, the congregation comes together for worship. They sit in the nave. Um, a lot of people will call this the sanctuary, and uh, that's you know, certainly not wrong. Sanctuary is coming from the Latin word for sanctus, for holy, so it's a holy space. Uh, typically, though, we like to um, talk about the nave as being the, the, the boat where the Lord's people are safe in the ship of God's house. The sanctuary uh, would be the holy place in which, um, usually at the front of the church, where uh, altar and uh, communion rail, pulpit, lectern are, uh, where the holy things of God come. So uh, it's, uh, I think, a nice idea to, to think of the house of worship as the Lord's boat in which we gather into, and we're safe from the waters and sharks of this world. What do you think of that? I'm just thinking that I want to I wanna get a big L, and I want to put it in the, in the sanctuary. And then I want to sit there and look at it until someone asks me what I'm doing, and I'm going to say, navel gazing. <laughs> Did you think of that just now, right now in the spot, or is that, has oh, that yeah, been your joke for the last moment. 10 years that you're... Oh, okay. No, no, that's right. But did I tell you about the chicken joke? Uh, I think so. Speaking of great jokes, <laughs> what do you call someone who watches chickens? A chicken Did watcher? I not tell you this joke already? I think so, but I... I... <laughs> Conveniently Did you erased it, it from my mind? mind. It had to have been last week. <laughs> it's a chicken tender. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's not go down that road again. I know where this leads, and let's not go there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, hashtag theology was a game that we invented once upon a time to see what people are talking about theology on the internets. And uh, so, I I understand for people who have the the Twitter the Twitterverse. Uh, are able to search by by hashtag and see all the things that come up, and so that's convenient for people who don't do show prep. And I uh, thought we'd we'd chime in on this again. Is that right? Uh yes, that's the idea. Yes. Okay. Wow, look at this. I did. I just did hashtag Easter on the Twitters, and KFUO Radio came up first. I of wonder course. If that's... I wonder if that's accidental. How does it rank I, a I... search result? Is it by most recent? I don't know. We can't figure it out. Elon is going to tell us now, but otherwise, before oh, that, that's right. No, I, I was just wondering. I, I for I, I, for the first time, I uh, I by the way, I follow or I retweeted a political tweet, which was, um, our governor Greg Abbott tweeted at Elon Musk saying, "You got now you got to move Twitter to Texas, like <laughs> SpaceX and Tesla." <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. Uh, yeah, people are so, people are kind of worried about the Elon Musk grabbing grabbing Twitter. Um, yeah, pretty 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 risky stuff. I understand. I guess yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll see. It's like that. We're we're totally against billionaires owning media companies. <laughs> very, we've been <laughs> very right. consistently against that for a long time. That's right. That's right. Okay, so you tell me a hashtag, and I'm going to search it, and then I'm going to tell you what's happening on the conversation because you're not even on the Twitters. I, I've even heard of it. I just yesterday just heard of Twitter. So um, something that uh, I think it's an electric I told you I was off all social media for like two years, but now I'm back on the Twitters. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know what I don't know what I'm doing. But. And falling off the okay. wagon. I I'm guess. ready. Give me something. <laughs> all right, uh, let's do a hashtag. Uh, I wonder what you get if you do a hashtag sacrament. Hmm. 
Well, I'll tell you. Okay. Because I can do it. Hashtag Sacramento? No. Hashtag Sacrament. Bishop John Stowe, or Stowey, says, Sealed with the Holy Spirit, 52 received the hashtag Sacrament of hashtag Confirmation at Mary, Queen of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church. Catholic Church. <laughs> Perfect. Now, this is good. This, this, is, this is why we do this. So, um, I, I mean, I think we do this because I think people are on the Twitters and uh, they see the tweets or whatever they call them. And uh, inevitably, theological things are going to come up. And then what are we going to think about those things? How do we think about these things? Because it turns out, I'm not sure if you know this or not, Pastor Wolf, there, but it turns out not everyone on the Internet believes what we believe about theology. Weird. So. <laughs> I was suspicious of that one time. <laughs> I'm disturbed to hear it's confirmed. So, uh, so I I was interested to see what we're going to be coming up with because my possi- possibility I figured it'd be a, a Roman Catholic, which is, sounds like that's the case. Um, but I also thought it could have been. Um, I'm giving you two points for that use of the buzzword. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's generous. Um, I was thinking maybe it could have been an evangelical going kind of contra the sacraments like oh you guys who believe in the sacraments um but no behold it was a roman catholic but notice here that uh what is cited as a sacrament is not what we understand to be a sacrament so the way the catechism talks about this that uh we need three things for a sacrament to be a sacrament um of course now i think we we start by in this discussion by saying um it's not extremely helpful to be arguing over the definition of what a sacrament is, because the Bible itself doesn't define the word sacrament. Uh, but rather, I think it's better to see what does the Lord give us, and if we can group those together, there's something that's helpful. So uh, the Lord is uh, instituting something. Uh, that's one. Uh, two, that the uh, forgiveness of sins is conferred through this thing. That's two. And three, that it's bound to something visible. Uh, so Baptism is being bound to water. The Lord's Supper is being bound to bread and wine. And so by that uh, understanding, we would see uh, two sacraments. Now, some people like to say, look, uh, there's maybe a third one. We receive the the forgiveness of sins is conferred through the word in uh, holy absolution. And certainly that is true. Is that instituted by God? Of course it is. We just had the text in Easter about uh, John chapter 20, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Um, the question is, is there a visible uh, thing, a visible element? And you can maybe press it a little bit, uh, the pastor or the word itself, maybe, um, but that's the only thing that's lacking to maybe be full on a sacrament. So uh, that's so far how we would talk about sacraments. After this break, I'll talk about confirmation as one. 30 seconds, yeah, Pastor. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, so this will be good to see. So does does confirmation fit? And if not, why is it being called a sacrament here in the tweet? And I got another one. That'll be good. Well, uh, why are we doing it? Why are we doing confirmations if it's not a sacrament? That'd be a worthwhile good conversation question. as well. Yes. So you're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. That's what you have in store after this. It's a movement. 
not a radio show. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. All right, so we talked about what we look for to call something a sacrament. And uh, the Twitterverse it has this bishop saying so many 12, 23 or whatever, people receive the sacrament of confirmation uh, this day. Oh, what do you think, Pastor? Can we call confirmation a sacrament? It's interesting. Confirmation is certainly... Well, let's, so let's say this first. Confirmation is made up. Can we just say it that clearly? Gasp. Are you allowed to say that? Gasp. So, so we don't have a command from Jesus to, to, um, to confirm the kids or whatever. And so we should probably start there because um, what we do have from the Lord is the command to come to his altar uh, to receive his body and blood and to do so as a confession of our faith examining both ourselves and the church, the body of, uh, well, examining ourselves and the gift, the body of Christ in the midst of his church. So we're making a public confession. Every time you take this bread, you proclaim his death until he comes. And Jesus does command so, the church to teach. That's right. So we have the command to teach and we have the command to be prepared for the Lord's Supper. And you put those together and you have basically what we call confirmation but how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, etc. We don't have any of those specifics commanded, or even if you should have a right of it. It's, it is good. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with confirmation. It's good that we train uh, people to come to the Lord's Supper. That has to be done. And that we acknowledge them as participants at the altar publicly. That's also great. So it's really wonderful. But uh, but we should start with the idea that this is not instituted directly from, from Jesus, it is in service to the Lord's um, gift of baptism, gift, gift of teaching, and gift of the, of the supper. So that our training and our confession is in service to the true sacrament. And so in that way, the sacrament, what, um, so confirmation is connected to the sacrament of the altar. It's connected to the sacrament of baptism. And it serves both of those sacraments. So it is sacramenty. What are we doing, though, when, but it's not a sacrament. It doesn't forgive sins. When you go to be confirmed, you are not uh, in any way more forgiven or less, I suppose, either, but more forgiven than you were before because you don't have that promise. Mm -hmm. You don't have the promise of forgiveness of sins. So then the question is, what are we doing when we confirm uh, someone? child or adult and lay hands on them and pray for the Holy Spirit. Here's, I think, the clearest way to think of it is we are setting them apart for the office of public Christian. Hmm. Now, every Christian is called to confess Christ in their life. Even the children sing Hosanna as Jesus is going into Jerusalem and so forth. And so all Christians are confessing Christ. But there is a, a, a time where when we are recognizing that going to the altar is a public acknowledgement of our faith. That we say, hey, you are now going to be set apart as a public confessor of the faith every time you come to the Lord's Supper. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and bless you in this vocation.
I think that's the clearest way to think about what the right of confirmation is. What do you think about that? That's nice. Yeah, I've, I've always just said, hey, this is, um, you've taken time to learn what the Church teaches, and um, you have this opportunity then to make a confession to say, um, what this Church teaches is what I believe the Bible says. This is what I believe about God. And uh, that is a magnificent opportunity, um, and one that we should take if you have heard heard a teaching and it is true to say, yes, I believe that. And uh, I like what you said, yeah, the public office of Christian. That's good. Yeah, which is why we make the martyr's vow. That's that big part of, mm-hmm. will you, uh, would you forsake all, endure all, even death, rather than fall away? Whoa. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, I'm just here because my parents told me <laughs> that I, if I went to class every week, I could get a new bike. Yeah. <laughs> but all of a sudden, the the, the kind of um, the stakes are raised in this business of that, that it it's costly to be a Christian. So you think of like the disciples in the upper room, afraid, and they're and they are sort of they are just examining what are the consequences of being associated with this Jesus. <laughs> you know, am I going to have to be crucified now? And am I willing to risk it? And, and and then the Holy Spirit comes and they say, yes. So this is what we're praying for on confirmation when we pray, come Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come and give us that boldness to confess Christ no matter what the consequences. Now, how often do you hear this when around confirmation time? Uh, you get some uh, someone saying, <clears throat> When I was a kid, I had to stand up there in front of the whole congregation, and everyone got to ask me those questions. <laughs> they talk you know, like that too. <laughs> when I, that's how they talked when they were kids. So the I do not those think the confirmation should be traumatic. I mean, like you know, everyone has to go to get like counseling afterwards. Like, don't bring up confirmation. If we didn't answer that question Earl. right, that pastor would make us stand up in front of everybody. It's like it's like people's worst fear is is public speaking. Yeah. Say, oh, let's connect the Lord's greatest gift, his body and blood, <laughs> with your greatest fear, public speaking. That's gonna that's a good idea. But you know, everyone lived. Somehow no one no one died at the confirmation. <laughs> and then for the rest for the for the next eighty years you gotta say, when I was confirmed, I stood up and for I uh you know what's a good question is when I you know I stood up and do it and to say would you still remember? Yeah. Well, <laughs> here here's the greatest danger that we face. I mean, look, there's I I wish I knew a great way to do confirmation. I wish I knew a good way to do confirmation. I I don't I don't know a single pastor who says, "Oh, yeah, here here's how we do it." It's great. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I mean, it was one of the great things about being a young pastor is you confirm a few kids and they stay in the faith for a couple of years and you're like, "Yeah, I figured it out." You know. I, I can't remember if it was you or Pastor Ketchermeyer I talked to, right? I think it was you, right after I I became a pastor and was getting ready for my very first you know confirmation class, and uh, you know when you become a, when you're a new baby pastor you want to know what what other pastors are doing to, you know see what maybe is, fits best for for what you're going to do, and uh, I think the first thing he says well first you need to know you're going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. No, <laughs> it turns out you're a well, prophet. <laughs> only the Lord's word. Uh, that's our only promise. So we put the Lord's word out there. God gives the growth. That's it. You can't. But but look, I, I would I would abandon every confirmation class in every church 
immediately right now today if all of those students would recognize that their vocation is to be a lifelong student of the Lord's Word. There's this great danger mm-hmm. that that comes in. Is it like I've learned it now? I've done enough. I've I've checked all the boxes. I've studied the Bible, and now I know it. Oh, for heaven's sakes! Mm-hmm. I mean, how much further? That's such. That's so far from the truth. And so, like every time I get in confirmation class, I'm like, ah, we didn't finish it, but that's good. Because you need to know that you're never finished learning what the Lord has never finished teaching. This is how Luther starts the catechism. He says, you know, guys read through the catechism a couple times and think they've learned it. And and Luther says, every day I have to go and meditate on the catechism. Every day I'm thinking about the Ten Commandments and the Creed and the Lord's Prayer and and plunging the depths of those great gifts. I Uh, I think that's one, one danger is the idea that confirmation is graduation. I know when I was growing up, um, we did confirmation classes in seventh and eighth grade. And so you had like, we called it eighth grade promotion. When you go from eighth grade into high school, you had eighth grade promotion, like two weeks later was confirmation. And so we just had embedded in this idea that I'm graduating from confirmation classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one danger. I think the other danger is that it, it gives some parents the idea that we can totally delegate the instruction of our children to the church and to think that uh, teaching the faith is not a parental duty, it is a pastoral duty. And I would, yep. I would argue yep. it's the other way around. The pastor and the church uh, is here to help and support you in the instruction of children, uh, but the duty, at least according to the catechism, uh, gives it to the head of the household. And so, yeah. so parents have the primary duty to instruct their children in the faith. Yep, that's it. Good. Yep. All right, well, let's get it to another round of hashtag theology. Oh, yeah, that's what we're doing. And see what the interwebs... So that's crushed, by the way. That's that that's busted. I don't, I don't think we bust things in hashtag theology, do we? Mm. But, I mean, go what ahead, bust away. busted? <laughs> bust away. I know how it is when we bring up Roman Catholics around you, you start busting things, so... Uh, let's see, hashtag... Um, I'm kind of on the on the Easter mode, so let's do hashtag resurrection. See see what's going on. See what resurrection okay, conversations are going Hashtag resurrection. On. Let's see here. Uh, Herman of Alaska Orthodox Church. Oh, look at this guy going crazy with the incense. Christ <laughs> hashtag Christ is risen. Hashtag Pascha. Hashtag resurrection. Hashtag Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, so... Look at that guy with his incense. Boy, oh boy. So Eastern Orthodox just had their Easter, right? Or a week after the Western Church? Am I, am I correct I in my thinking? Keep it straight. Uh, obviously, we're not leaning east, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but <laughs> that was a test. See how quickly... Yeah, that's you right. Can... <laughs> you're, you're, you're like, well, Eastern Orthodox Easter is like, oh yeah, yeah. We did that at home on. We celebrate Easter at home on. Oh, wait a minute. Gotcha. That's like the crypto orthodox. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so I believe that uh, Eastern Orthodox recognized the resurrection of our Lord uh, last Sunday as we record here today. So if I'm not mistaken. So I would see then that that might be the most recent mention on the Twitterverse about uh, resurrection. Uh, I'll, I'll have a... I mean... I'm a pastor, and it's Easter I got another season. one too. I, I got a thing to do about. More. It. All right. Well, the so, word about resurrection. I'll give you some more tweets right after this.
Real Talk Radio. After a while, you just get used to it. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the Devotions button. I'm on the war path, by the way, this Easter season against Gnosticism. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I, I, I think even uh, despite our best efforts uh, in the church, I still think Gnosticism uh, clings heavily to our dear believers with regards to uh, death and uh, what happens after you die. Um, I think that there are many people who are ignorant of the teaching of the great resurrection and the creation of the new heaven and new earth. So that we always talk about at the funeral service about how grandma is in heaven and she's bullying like she hasn't been able to do for 20 years, or she's, you know, uh, singing all those songs or whatever. And we're so busy kind of, and and I don't want to begrudge the reality that grandma's soul is present with Jesus in bliss where there is no pain and suffering, to be sure. But our great comfort is in the resurrection, which we confess Mm -hmm. in the creed Mm -hmm. every single Sunday. So it's not like Mm -hmm. it's uh, out of lack of trying that we're trying to impart this to our people. But, (laughs) But the great hope is that Christ has come as a man to die as a man and be raised as a man so that he could redeem our human flesh. The great hope is not just that our souls have been redeemed, but that our bodies are redeemed and in the resurrection will be raised to a glorified state to live in a new world, a new physical place, like perhaps the Garden of Eden that God had created in the first place, a place like that for all eternity. That's the Christian hope. That's fantastic. I'm on the war. I've been trying I, saying it like this that that our graves will be as empty as the grave of Jesus. Yeah, because it's nice. hard to get around that because people their imagination of the resurrection is probably just like they get their their soul like downloaded into a new body or something. Well, okay, so on no. on this topic then um so to go a little bit of a field here but um I think that the cremation phenomenon has uh, progressed this problem. Um, so we, so a lot of times, and I'm sure it comes up for you a lot too, Pastor Wolfmuller, but people will talk to me about, uh, cremation. Is it okay to be cremated? And, um, we're always asking the question in moral terms. In other words, is it a sin to be cremated? And the answer is no, but that's as far as most people think about it. Well, if it's Mm -hmm. not a sin, then okay. But I would wonder if we should be thinking more deeply about this. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine lately, and he, he said, nothing good comes from cremation. <laughs> and I think that's mm. good. That's going to be my new answer. It's not a sin, but nothing good comes from cremation. That's what I tell my kids about being out after midnight. <laughs> nothing good happens after midnight. Right. Uh, so, so, I mean, I think there's many um, uh, downsides to uh, to cremation and the idea of the resurrection being a, I mean, so here you just said, 
uh, our tomb will be as empty as Jesus's tomb. But if I have put the remains of my mother in the wall at the cemetery, that does not have the same imagery impact that it would have if we, you know, put a cask in the ground. You know what I mean? Yep. 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 I know. So the question is, how do we best confess the resurrection? Right. That's always the, that's the key question that we want to be asking. And, and it, yeah, sorry. It, it's hard to confess the, I mean, that, that, that's why cremation was invented because people were denying the resurrection. Not that, not that Christians are denying the resurrection when they go to get cremated, not on purpose, but the, you know, that's how it started. If you're done with your body, we'll just do what you do with the mm -hmm. trash. Just burn it. Mm -hmm. And, 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 it's it's hard for pastors because most of the time the question comes up is like between the death of the loved one and the funeral and say by the way pastor mm -hmm. is it is it wrong to be cremated and at that point you're not wanting to bind consciences you know you know you're just like right. no it's 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 on not the way same. to the on the yeah. way to the uh, funeral home <laughs> you're like well what were your prearrangements for me already <laughs> yeah, that's when it always comes uh, up I, I just i just i just paid for my <laughs> services by the way what what does god think of this <laughs> yeah by the way as an afterthought well I, I i always try to teach against cremation but it goes like this i'm like okay who here wants to be cremated and like a third of the people raise their hands i'm like okay Here's why you shouldn't. And I go through my reasons and say, now who wants to be cremated? Just testing the effect of it. And like half the people want to be. And I'm, it always goes backwards. I'm like, how did I talk you into it trying to talk you out of it? Well, I, you know, so now usually, I don't do it anymore, usually it's but... fiscal financial reasons. Um, but as, as there's been more demand for it, um, you know, those little incinerators are expensive to run and all that stuff. The cost is going up on that side of things. So you might find yourself cheaper just having a traditional burial. I don't know. It is there. I think there's three reasons. So cost is the big one. And then space, like where are we going to mm -hmm. put the body? And the, the answer to that is go and visit Wyoming. We're not running out of space. <laughs> and the third question is, for whatever reason, people imagine... Like their bodies burning versus their bodies, like mm. rotting or sitting there, like ah, just get it over with. But I don't know about that. They're both pretty gruesome. Are you saying that Wyoming is going to be the cemetery state? <laughs> I'll just take all <laughs> the bodies. It is but, the smallest but, population of living people. There is a thing about that though, because cities. Uh, I used to um, just for a short time I was on a planning commission locally here. Uh, cities do not like zoning for cemeteries because you can't change that use later on like yeah we're gonna put in a costco instead nope that's gonna be a cemetery forever so yeah cities don't really yep, like yep. it but yep uh but but here's maybe the point as a society should we respect and care for uh our dead and the answer is yes we should um so we learn it from jesus we've we've all probably been to a national cemetery where they uh will uh bury the um veterans and servicemen and for the most part at least the one we have near us uh everything is done with great care and we know that that shows great honor to those who are there and that's maybe we should learn something from the pagans there that we christians should do the same for our dead yep 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 every funeral service is a church service so we're, we're working on that i think every church is working on this that Whenever you have a funeral, it's a service for the whole church. Everybody comes. If you don't know the person, it doesn't matter. You come. And uh, we honor them that way. We bless their family in that way. I remember, ooh, here's a story. 
I went to the hospital. A friend, uh, he was a fellow pastor. They just had a baby who lived maybe just a few minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and then died. And I got to the hospital about half an hour after the baby's death. Mm. They're still holding the baby and and pray, prayed with them and sang with them. And, and they said, Brian, what do we do now? And I said, well, here's the last good work that the Lord will give you to do for your baby as his parents until the resurrection is to give him a Christian funeral and to lay him peacefully in the ground in the hope of the resurrection. And if we could think of funerals in that way, that we're, that we're actually blessing and serving the people that we're burying, then I think we would probably, it would go a long ways towards sort of fixing the goofiness that happens with a lot of funeral stuff. People will say, it's not for the dead, it's for the living. Well, then why are you there? Mm -hmm. If it's not, for, I mean, yeah. Yeah. you're there because somebody died. And it's true that the living are blessed by it, by hearing the Lord's word and believing in the face of their own death. But you're there to to serve the person and to prepare and to lay their body into the ground or wherever it's going, but into the ground in the hope of the resurrection because they're a Christian. Yeah. And we're Christians. That's what we're doing. And and that that's, comes from that Gnostic idea again, because we think that once a person dies, and then they're gone. But yeah. they're... They're just I, awaiting I the resurrection. Was, That's all it is. They're awaiting the resurrection. I was at, as we were at the funeral home looking into the casket of, a, and I was standing next to a, a, a woman who was looking at her mom. And she said, well, mom's not here anymore. And I wanted to say, well, who's that? <laughs> no, these, th this is, these are the hands that, that braided your hair. Th those are the lips that, that kissed you good night. Uh, this is the lap that you sat in in church and learned the liturgy. And this body of your mom will be raised. This is the body that you came from, and this body will be raised on the last day. We shouldn't be so... I mean, it's true that the soul is away from the body, but we should not be so quick to um, to dismiss the importance of the body. Yeah. Again, your anti-Gnostic thing. We, the the we, body of Jesus was pretty important and that's not just because it was Jesus, but because it he Jesus was a human. So yeah, soul and body um, go together. It makes us us, the soul and body, and we should not have put one as more important over the other. They're both mm -hmm. equally mm -hmm. important, body and soul. So. Cool. All right. Well, um, we're just about out of time for this segment, believe it or not. So g give me another resurrection tweet, and then we'll we'll take okay. our break. Okay. Uh, oh, I got to pull it up here. Uh, oh, this kind of talks about what you're talking about. This is the Gideon's International. So mm. Our restless hearts can find peace in Jesus alone because he has already overcome death on our behalf through his sacrifice and resurrection. Hashtag faith. Hashtag sacrifice. Hashtag resurrection. Good. All right. Well... It is true that uh, he has already overcome our death by his death. So for all of us, death is something that comes ahead of us should the Lord tarry so long. But as Paul says, death, where is your victory? Uh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And that is true because of uh, what Christ Jesus has done with death. He's, he's won the victory over death. And so that is our death as well. 
Okay, when we get back from this break, we're going to be looking at questions from the catechism. We're going to be answering the question as a Roman Catholic, as a Calvinist, as a liberal progressive, as a Pentecostal. Who knows? Stay tuned. Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. Unscripted. Unprepared. Unashamed. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. After that short break, uh, time now to play Answer... The question as. Now, normally we have trained professionals like Professor uh, Pless to do this for us, but we'll have, a little, we'll have a little amateur hour. Pastor Wolfman will be answering questions today. This is like open mic at the karaoke bar. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I got some beat poetry I'll be reading as a Calvinist. <laughs> All right. So I got this, uh, this random wheel loaded up. I got four uh, church, uh, what? Beliefs, confessions, confessions, uh, loaded up here. Evangelical, Pentecostal, Roman Catholic, Calvinist. You know what they call them now? They don't call them denominations. They call them tribes. Tribes. Have you heard that language? No, I'm not in though. That's oh, that's your tribe. You're part of the Lutheran tribe. Oh right. Mm. That, is that PC? I don't think that's PC. I, th- I think it is racist. Hmm. Well, we'll get someone on that. Uh, okay, so I got. Not only do I have this random wheel, but I also have sound effects of this random wheel. You ready for the sp- yeah, spinning of the wheel? Sound effects? What's going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, let's see. Wow. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. That's fantastic. And look, listen to this. <laughs> see, someone is very excited that it landed on Roman Catholic. <laughs> Roman Catholic, okay. All right, so your question... Think qu- like Father Angel. <laughs> your question is... Uh, besides faith, what else does the Holy Spirit create in you by the gospel? Wow. Uh, so I have to answer that question as a Roman Catholic? Yeah, yeah. Well, in the first place, I'm not sure why you're so excited about faith. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, see what I did there? Yeah. Uh, in fact... We Roman Catholics would just (laughs) put faith along with the other virtues... So you got the four old virtues, courage and prudence and everything, and then you got faith, hope, and love, the three theological virtues, which the Holy Spirit creates in us. Faith is always working through love, we remember, and it's, in fact, that faith which gives us the power to love, which the Lord then counts as meritorious, again, by His grace. It's always grace. It's great. And uh, by that, we, in fact, are engaged in the process of justification. And uh, and who knows what will happen when we die, if that will be complete in us, and so we go to heaven? Probably not. That's the beatific vision reserved for the saints. But for most of us, there's still even a little bit of work to do after we die. That's why we, most of us will go to purgatory to finish that work of faith and love, working itself out till we're perfect and ready to see God. Whew. All right, pretty good. Let's spin this wheel again, see what else we can come up with. These are questions from the catechism, is that right? Yeah, yeah. This is the nautical section. 
Oh, Calvinist. Oh, okay. These are all the Calvinists. Get out my blogs, right my multiple blogs, and my fedora, <laughs> and my very dark beard. Have you noticed that the Calvin, they all, the Calvinists all look like Matt Walsh. <laughs> but Matt Walsh is very dark beards. The darker the beard, the more orthodox the guys. Although the the Calvinists trim their beards, and the Lutherans do not. Like I like my beards, like my theology, kind of crazy. <laughs> and the Calvinists are like, I like my beards, like I like my theology, black and white, and very organized. This is an interesting question from the perspective of a Calvinist. What is the duty? <laughs> what is the duty of a congregation toward an excommunicated sinner who repents? Wow. Well, number one, as a Calvinist, I love questions about duty. <laughs> and also as a Calvinist, by the way, I understand that excommunication is one of the marks of the church. Because you Lutherans see the marks of the church as the gospel rightly preached and the sacraments rightly administered, but we Calvinists add a third mark of the church, and that's church discipline. Oh, maybe maybe wild. we should we, maybe we should go to the other question then, which is previous to this: uh, What is the purpose of excommunication? Oh, this is a this game is always an eighth commandment issue, because you know what would a Calvinist say the purpose of excommunication is, and how would we understand a Calvinist? So, okay, so I think a Calvinist would say, a Calvinist would say that the purpose of excommunication is, well, so we are being obedient to the Lord by removing sin from open and unrepentant sinners from the midst of the church because they don't belong to the church. Because one of the fruits of faith is a life of obedience, at least attempted obedience, and open, unrepentant sin would mark a person out as being not Christian. And... That's, that's right, I suppose, uh, also. So I think we would agree with them there. The, the We would emphasize, though, which I think what Paul emphasizes, is that the purpose of excommunication is for the is a severe preaching of the law done in the hope of repentance. So, so we always want to um, conduct excommunication with the eye towards restoration. And I, I'm not sure... If that would be the emphasis in the in the Calvinistic church churches, it could be. I, I think it probably depends on the, in some ways, in the personality of the congregation. But mm -hmm. but for sure, the Lutheran di di difference there would be this eye toward repentance and restoration. This game is designed to root out to see if the OCB is listening. I wonder if he is. I wonder what he's doing these days. Because I'm sure he'll correct you if. Although didn't we didn't we give him the special email address? The, the Answers at Table Talk Radio? Yeah. Maybe that's why we he haven't been hearing have from questions. him. He's Calvinists still... have no questions. <laughs> He's still... I refuse. He's still emailing that, which is why we haven't heard from him for a while. <laughs> you didn't realize we were kidding. That's not our real email address. <laughs> we didn't make that email. It would be flooded. The inbox is flooded. Official Calvinist blogger. All right. I got a couple more here. Here's another okay. one. Spin, spinning the the random wheel. Oh, this one is uh, Pentecostal. Okay. Okay. Um, that sounds like my church service right there. <laughs> well, this is interesting because uh, the the question landed on. So I'm just kind of randomly opening to pages in the Catechism. 
Uh, I'll let you choose. Uh, question 244 is, who is to be baptized? Or oh. 245, what distinction is to be made in baptizing? Oh, let's do the distinction, because we Pentecostals make this distinction, water baptism and spirit baptism. And the two are very different. So water baptism is what a Christian does when they become a Christian to indicate that they're a Christian. And they go under the water, just like a body goes under the dirt. And so they symbolize their death and resurrection to the old life and the new life comes. But the real baptism that brings the benefits is this baptism of the Spirit. Like John preached, uh, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire. And that spirit baptism comes when the spirit comes down and anoints you. And uh, normally it shows up uh, for us Pentecostals, uh, Assemblies of God kind of Pentecostals, as uh, speaking in tongues. That's an indication of the baptism of the spirit. It could also show up in the experience of the presence of God, which is an ecstatic experience in the midst of worship, or other miraculous and spiritual gifts like speaking uh, prophecy, or words of knowledge, or being able to interpret those who are speaking in tongues and perform miracles and so forth. Some of the wild and crazy Pentecostals also have, you know, the Holy Spirit will like rain gold dust on people, or you have all this anointing where all these miracles are happening and so forth. Um, but us kind of plain Pentecostals will emphasize the uh, simple presence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues. That's what it means to be born again, by the way. So it's not just water and word, but it's the spirit baptism that really matters and really brings the benefit. Yeah, somewhere in here, um, you know, there's certain questions that exist in the catechism that are that only exist for a particular reason, and there's some of those in here. Uh, something to the effect of uh, why is there not two baptisms, <laughs> but only one baptism? And that was written into the catechism for the purpose of the Pentecostals who are starting to say there's two different baptisms. There's the water baptism, which means nothing. And then there's the spirit baptism, which is internal. It's a feeling. Uh, and then it has the result of being able to speak in tongues. And that's that's the one you're really going for. Not the, not the external one that everybody can see because, you know, things you can see aren't spiritual. <laughs> uh, but the one that really matters is the one you feel on the inside. Yeah. It's pretty bad. I mean, so like the entirety of Lutheran theology is built against this Pentecostal move because it wants every, the, the realm of, of spiritual activity is always on the inside, never on the outside. And so I can never be sure. I mean, my baptism, which looks to me like a work because it was outside, doesn't give anything. It's all the internal stuff. And so my spirit, my, my, my spiritual life is like James describes it, a boat tossed to and fro on the waves of the sea. And uh, that's that's bad. So most P Pentecostals or those who have these Pentecostal or charismatic leanings find themselves in these situations. Right. Well, we're almost out of time, so let me just end on this, that uh, the contrast to that is that Christ makes promises about things objective. You know, so th he did this uh, throughout biblical history. Remember the remember this serpent uh, raised in the wilderness? Mm -hmm. All who gaze upon him will, have, will be saved, will be healed. Uh, and so he says of water... Uh, that uh, repent to be baptized, uh, every one of you, and receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a promise made to something external so that now mm -hmm. I can know because it's outside of me. It's not a feeling bringing doubt, but something outside of me by God's promise. 
Yeah. So, Amen. Hey, Gotta not bad for a, for a quick round of answer the question as. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like. Oh, you, that break was long enough that you forgot what the points were like. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before oh, listening sure. to Table Talk Radio. Table Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to not for anyone. With aquatic Table Talk Radio is not coma, for anyone. lung cancer, <laughs> brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.